Once upon a time, cars reigned supreme in Bloomington. It's not like they don't still dominate the local and the state and the national way of thinking, but they're not supreme anymore. The ways of thinking that created the one-way pairs that are College and Walnut, or the highway style of 3rd Atwater and Dunn, or 3rd Kirkwood and Adams, probably wouldn't be built today. And pedestrians, bicyclists, and transit riders have more options than ever, thanks to trails, side paths, protected bike lanes, increased bus service. And those options are only increasing. There was a lonely voice once who saw this future and pushed Bloomington to do better to get to that future. The city is finally catching up to Buff, and we will too, on the 812. Our guest today is Buff Brown. Although he lives on the West Coast now, he spent most of his life in Bloomington, agitating for alternatives to the automobile. The organization he created brought in academic experts to teach the city that cars were unsustainable. We'll get to that interview right after we visit the lineup. Get ready. From noon to one, in the McCloskey Room, the Community Advisory for Public Safety, or CAPS Commission, will have a meeting of their outreach committee about their weekend of events scheduled for February 24th and 25th regarding the presentation at IU of the documentary Reimagining Safety. The hearing officer meets in the Kelly Room from two to three. From four to five, the Utility Service Board will hold a meeting to open bids for the State Road 45 Arlington Road to Stone Lake Drive water main relocation. From 4 to 6 p.m. in McCloskey, the Redevelopment Commission holds a special meeting to consider terminating the leases of two business tenants remaining in Showers West that would take effect today. Showers West is the portion of the Showers building formerly owned by CFC and rented to private tenants. Since the west portion of Showers was purchased by the city last year, for conversion to a public safety headquarters. When the remaining tenants would move out has been a question, but it seems they may be getting closer to resolving it. From 5.30 to 7 in the Hooker Room, the Commission for Hispanic and Latino Affairs will take stock, getting updates on the inventory of resources and liaisons speaking Spanish from each city hall department, plans for quarterly meetings with Latino communities at churches, and pursuing cultural sensitivity for non-Spanish speaking people. And from 5.30 to 7, Council Interview Committee C will meet, but no regular session of the City Council tonight because they're off until next Wednesday. With the exception of the Utilities Service Board, which meets at the Utilities Building 600 East Miller Drive, all of the above meetings are in City Hall at 401 North Morton. And that's your lineup for Wednesday, January 31st. Our guest today is Lawrence Buff Brown. He's been a transportation planner for 20 years, working with the Indiana Department of Transportation, the Indiana Department of Environmental Management, the Columbus, Indiana Metropolitan Planning Organization, and cities on the West Coast. In 2004, he founded Bloomington Transportation Options for People, or BTOP, 
an influential advocacy group for pedestrians, bicyclists, and transit users that reshaped Bloomington's transportation landscape. Buff's childhood experiences in Bloomington included being able to bike freely around town, which instilled in him a profound appreciation for accessible urban spaces. In the 90s, this led him to involvement in transportation policy, starting with the Citizens Advisory Committee of the Bloomington MPO, and then the Bloomington Traffic Commission. Eventually, he founded BTOP to champion sustainable transportation solutions, including by inviting academic experts to town to give public talks on transportation policy. Buff Brown, welcome to The 812. Thank you, Steve. I'm excited to uh, talk to you guys. So uh, what was your origin story? You're from Bloomington, right? Yeah, I moved here when I was two years old and basically lived here all of my life. Uh, got married and raised children and uh, finally left Bloomington in 2015 at the age of about 55. <laughs> uh, but not before uh, emptying the nest and your the birds flew the coop. They all moved to the West Coast. And that, you moved out there to be closer to them. That is true, is that uh, all of my children had moved to the West Coast, graduated from college, and were on with their lives. And uh, uh, they uh, called us uh, and uh, recruited us. And I took a job for with the city of Tigard, Oregon, as a transportation planner. Um, and the rest is history. So you grew up on what side of town and what was it like there? Yeah, I actually uh, spent my first f- mm, five years of school, so kindergarten to fourth grade, at Elm Heights. And I was living in the Elm Heights area. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so the town was very accessible to me. And I, I remember riding down to Heggs Drugs when I was seven years old, on my bike, all by myself, to buy some Hot Wheels and some Hot Wheels track, which I then <laughs> rode back. You were back. buying cars, were you? <laughs> yes, I was buying cars. It was the only cars I, I bought back then. It, but then we, then we, we, as our family grew to uh, four children, um, we became suburbanites, and we bought a 1969 house in Grandview Hills on the west east side east side of town, um, about a mile from the the uh, intersection of the bypass and 10th street. So 45 at the time and still, I guess it's still 45. And that was all rural. So you had the university, the old university school on that corner. Yeah. And then um, everything East of that and where fountain park is, where the post office is, all of that was just farm land. Mm-hmm. And then came our neighborhood Grandview Hills. And uh, when I was 10, we bought an old, uh, we bought a Sears bike. I remember I paid for it with my lawnmower m- mower money and <laughs> and it became suddenly my um, access to all of Bloomington. I was definitely a uh, free range child at the age of 10 due to that bicycle. And it definitely affected my um, whole life as regard to transportation. So you started getting involved in transportation policy in the city, you joined the Citizens Advisory Committee of the Metropolitan Planning Organization. What possessed you to do that? Well, um, you know, always being, I was always kind of an environmentalist slash um, 
anti-car person. Hmm. Well, let's just say I was I was a pro bike and tra- transportation a bike ped and transit person. I was always wondering why we let these big, huge, scary things go flying through the town hmm. when um, it was very easy to get anywhere you wanted to by bicycle. Um, and so I, you know, I got myself involved in transportation in Bloomington where I could. And I found out that this MPO kind of a secret agency that seemed, you know, way behind the curtain, um, was actually the ones distributing the money, uh, for transportation and also seemed to be doing some planning. So I thought, Oh, I'll find out about that. And there was a guy, Frank Nerwicki that kind of uh, wanted to get his citizens advisory committee going. And uh, I was there to do that. So and, yeah, and just to explain that. So the MPO has three committees. The, the policy committee is the one that makes the uh, final decisions on uh, projects that come through the MPO, transportation projects that are federally funded. And then there are two other committees that the policy committee has to get reports from. One of them is the Technical Advisory Committee, and the other is the Citizens Advisory Committee, and that's the one that you join. Right. And you'll find that MPOs have different levels of support of the Citizens Advisory Committee, and um, we really had a dead one, and um, and and uh, Frank brought it back to life, and it's it stayed alive for a long time, even over other uh, leadership. So what did you learn when you joined it and what did it cause you to do next? Well, the MPO is just a very nuanced uh, organization that seems to, that its level of rules is a little confusing and um, and how the decisions are made. And, you know, later in my life, uh, not only did I uh, regulate all of the MPOs in some level as, as in my role as INDOT, I mean, INDOT and IDEM, both of those. Then I became the director of the Columbus MPO. Okay. Um, And so, you know, uh, and I was its only employee, by the way. So we were the smallest MPO in the nation um, (laughs) because you had to make, you had to make 50,000, you had to have 50,000 people in your area to uh, qualify as an MPO. And I think we had 53,000. So um, we were the smallest in population and in employment in that we employed one person to do that. And, okay. um, but I mean, uh, so this was your first exposure to an MPO was on the CAC. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, you just find out that it's uh, much more influential in where your city is going um, because of the funding um, distribution power that it has. Um, than you might think. And uh, so I think it's always something that people need to really understand. My guest is Buff Brown, a transportation planner, longtime Bloomingtonian, and uh, the founder of VTOP. So you went from the CAC to, you decided that there wasn't enough action there, and you decided to join the Traffic Commission in the 90s. Why and what was that like? Yeah, you know, the Traffic Commission is a citizen uh, group. It's kind of, it's a city, it's a city commission. Yeah. It it is a city commission, but at the same time, it's usually they put citizens on it, uh, to be kind of the voice of the citizens. Um, and it's generally run by the, uh, the transportation 
people of the city. And it's, and right, right now in the city that I live in, I am in the traffic commission as well. And it's very similarly run in that decisions and things that come out of the engineering department are brought to them to either uh, get the rubber stamp or um, to get some advice uh, that, um, that helps them to produce a better product, you know? And yeah, uh, I would say that, you know, it was a very interesting experience. And um, I was definitely the fanatic bike ped um, advocate there. And usually, and it's still true that engineering departments are focused on moving cars. Uh, they're, that's the customers that they believe their job is to satisfy. And so I would get quite frustrated. Um, and I remember um, um, showing that frustration in, <laughs> in, in meetings. But, you know, sometimes I think we made really good decisions based on, um, you know, kind of common sense safety and, uh, and kind of I'm, I brought in the bike and ped concerns and sometimes it would get responded to much better by the citizens than it was by the engineering department themselves. So I was pretty happy with, with that role. And, uh, and, and again, I think um, it just helps to understand the roles of those commissions um, because they are very important, and I'm finding them very important here um, where I live right now. Why didn't you join the Bike Ped Safety Commission? Wasn't that around in the 90s too? Yeah, it it was. And, you know, I found it to be uh, without any power. And I felt that the uh, traffic commission had some. Um, we are advisory to the city council. And so what we decided went to council. And sometimes we, sometimes I went to council um, with the information to, you know, give them the full side of, of my perspective, not I was never speaking for the city council, for the, for the traffic right. commission, but, um, you know, I would tell them I'm a member and this is why I felt the way I right. did. And, uh, you know, I think we, we were powerful, but I, I felt the bike and ped, um, or the bike coalition, bike, the bicycle and pedestrian safety commission, safety commission, um, things really didn't trickle to the decisions. Um, it was something that the, engineering people would say, okay, thank you for your information. And they go back and do whatever mm -hmm. they wanted. And, and it, it never trickled up to, uh, to the, um, the council. You know, as recently example. as last year, we debated uh, the administration proposal to merge the bike ped and traffic commission. Do you think they should be merged? Well, um, I think there's a place for it. I just wish it had a little more power. Uh, but, you know, they bring them in. I remember they always brought bike and ped people in um, when it was uh, valuable to the issues at hand. So I wouldn't put them apart. I, I think when you hear from bike and ped people, uh, you're hearing about bike and ped right, issues. Right. And when you hear from traffic commission, you may not hear that side of it. Uh, so how did you get from there, from being a commissioner, to founding? the group that you called BTOP. Yeah. Well, you know, I had a, what do you call it? A, a midlife crisis. 
And uh, I was working as an engineer at a medical device company. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, I realized this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I have a real passion for transportation mm-hmm. and air pollution, that, that kind of combination. Because I really felt transportation is, you know, the, a uh, completely unsustainable uh, the way that we practice it in the United States, completely unsustainable, and I believe it's still fully that. And um, I wanted to, you know, make my life a little more worthy than just uh, what I w- was doing. And so I went to law school. I went to um, environmental I – w- I got a master's in environmental science from SPIA um, and, um, and changed my whole um, – Career. Uh, career. And then I realized, hey, I can't do this stuff from the inside very well. Uh, so I'm going to be an advocacy group where I can just purely tell you what I think without having to worry about my boss. Well, we're going to talk um, about uh, the advocacy group that you founded after a break. My guest is Lawrence Buff Brown, a transportation planner, longtime Bloomingtonian, who founded Bloomington Transportation Options for People. This is the 812. Turn to more of our interview with Buff Brown, the founder of BTOP, the advocacy group that lobbied Bloomington for better bike ped transit policies in the early 21st century. So we get to the point in your life where you decided to not only uh, change careers, to do the thing that you believe in most firmly, environmental planning around transportation, but you then founded an advocacy group in order to be able to talk about it uh, more passionately because you couldn't just do it from your work job. Well, you know, you try to bring people together with like minds, and and uh, it always helps to start a group like that, and uh, they know what they're getting into. And so we did. We had a, a handful of people that were always um, that participated in, in its over its entire life uh, from about two thousand four to two thousand fifteen. It was called BTOP Bloomington Transportation Options for People. Uh, and what was the basic goal of the group? Well, certainly the goal was to uh, change, kind of change the paradigm so that our transportation um, system was focused on bike, ped, and transit. Uh, So really we were trying to, you know, reprioritize the whole system. And, and, um, I think, you know, I started mostly by kind of giving short five-minute presentations at uh, kind of the 
the general time to speak at a city council. And I really realized at some point, you know, that transportation is so complicated and it's so intertwined with, um, with land use and mm-hmm. parking and all these other decisions that it really needed a, um, we needed a big educational forum that f- little five minute spurts was not going to um, really change the paradigm. So I, we decided to start this urban planning scholar series where we would bring in uh, nationally known scholars on this issue because at the scholarly level, at the academic world, there, the changes were already being um, understood. But what they changes? were not what changes, changes understood. The, this paradigm shift was already being contemplated by academia, hmm. and the problems with our current system were already being discovered and exposed by academia. But the practice was still the same. Well, so maybe for a minute, enumerate what some of the problems were. Well, uh, okay, yeah, so. I think one of the most effective people was a guy named Larry Frank, who had written a book called Health and the Built Environment. And he was really oh. saying, because at the time, one of the big things was the obes- obesity problem. Mm-hmm. And um, people didn't realize the connection between our urban form and public health. And actually, by bringing him in, we started a group called Health by Design that still exists in Indianapolis today. Hmm. Um, and uh, But then we also brought in Donald Shoup. He was the first person we brought in, and he exposed kind of how uh, our, tra- our land use planning for parking is so destructive to our urban form, to our, our mode of transportation, to, um, you know, the use of the car being... Um, um, really uh, exponentially um, increased as a result of free parking because it does have cost, but it's hidden. Um, and we, uh, Bob Cervero was big. He wrote a book called uh, "The Transit Metropolis." Um, Mia Burke had been the the uh, um, the the main transportation planner for Portland when he it went from. Uh, a non-bike friendly place to a super bike friendly place. It's it's considered um, uh, as bike friendly. It is considered the top level, which is um, um, uh, platinum. It's a platinum, platinum. yeah, Thank platinum you. bike city. It was yeah. one of the first first platinum cities. Uh, I can go on. Uh, Todd Littman, he's still well known in the uh, transportation. Um, Michael world. Lewin. Michael Lewin is uh, an attorney that. Uh, law professor that has never owned a car and wrote about the uh, incredibly biased laws that we have in land, in land use that uh, force us to basically own a car to be a part of the community. And he's still writing um, continuously about this stuff. He's, he's still quite famous. I was the first one to ever ask him to speak. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say that your, uh, your series, the Urban planning uh scholar, scholar. series was mm-hmm. very influential i mean I know it, it radical uh, Donald Shoup alone radicalized me he had a very entertaining uh speech in the city council that was well received and you can still find uh if you go digging a 2005 or 2006 speech 
that's still on uh, catstv.net. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I remember I started uh, advocating as that was my first term on the city council, and I started advocating for better public poli- better parking policy as early as 2007. By 2013, Mayor Cruzan had made the command decision to return parking meters to downtown Bloomington after 30 years gone, and it's made a huge difference. Uh, the The first year that um, uh, the the year before meters went in. Uh, garages generated about a million dollars in gross revenue. Parking tickets generated about a million dollars in gross revenue. After the meters went in, those two numbers didn't change, but meters generated $2.2 million. That's how much demand there was for parking on the street in downtown Bloomington. Right. I think one of our most influential studies was just to show the uh, very low uh, occupancy of the parking garages that existed as it is. And mm-hmm. most people felt that they were full because they were, they were reserved for people, but right. they were empty. Right. And so we shifted that policy. And then as soon as you meter the on-street um, spaces, a lot of the employees moved into the parking garages and suddenly customers had parking. And uh, it completely shifted things. And I've, I've had so many um, people that uh, with, with um, businesses in downtown that have told me it's been a very beneficial thing when they actually hit, were one of the arguers against it at the time. My guest is Lawrence Buff Brown, a professional transportation planner for 20 years and a former transportation activist in Bloomington. So uh, you've been quite a student of current city policy, uh, even though you've, uh, no, you don't live in Bloomington anymore. Um, for example, I think you know about the, the design plans for the neighborhood that used to be the ho- hospital called Hopewell now. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts about the transportation design of uh, that area? That's the, the, the details are just coming out. Yeah, I looked at the um, design uh, just a, a week or two ago, and uh, I feel that the the first of all the uh, um, class four uh, two way bike lane is really awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see things like that. If they if it connects well, it can actually be you know quite useful and very. What's a safe. class four? Uh, it's protected, completely protected, okay. uh, and that's mm-hmm. they, that's what they have currently. Um, planned. Okay. And, uh, but I did notice that uh, the pedestrian environments aren't ideal. They, it looked like they had very large radii um, curves, uh, 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 corners, and uh, long crosswalks. They had some lanes they didn't need, uh, things like that. And these are, um, to me, that's an example of using what I call, call kind of the highway version versus the city version. So you have um, kind of the old school suburban is thinking from an engineering perspective is to, you need large radii for large trucks. And that old school style of suburban engineering thinking was influenced by the manual that was put out by Ashto, the... Uh, American Association of State Highway Transportation Officials, and that was never right for an urban context. But the new thinking that is 
specified mostly in NACTO um, uh, uh, specifications. These are new, fairly new um, standards. Yeah, but it, NACTO is really designed by city engineers and not highway engineers. And they understand better what is the safer design for pedestrians. And um, so it does not look like they're using NACTO. And also, um, there doesn't look like there's traffic calming along the area. There's not raised crosswalks. There's not very many crosswalks. They're putting the crosswalks on the corner. There are no, there are no mid-block crosswalks. And these are the things that can really make a difference by bringing the traffic down to um, uh, non-lethal speeds so that people are going 20 miles an hour through these areas where you want people. And um, so you need a lot more calming a lot uh, smaller radii, a lot m shorter crosswalks. And those are all really NACTO-oriented um, uh, design standards. And so I don't think you're there yet. And, it, you know, one of the things that I'm learning is that engineers tend to do what they learn in school. And um, city councils have very little control over that. and um, so you, it's very dependent on the engineer that, um, and the engineering kind of philosophies and, uh, uh, of that department. And I think it's important that, um, that, uh, we give some options to council. And I really think that right now NACTO is a tool. You, it's a, um, set of standards that usually meet um, the current Ashto standards, but they meet them at the at the other end of the spectrum. Instead of truck friendly, there's a bike friendly end of that spectrum, and the NACTO will keep you on that bike and ped friendly side. And NACTO is the National Association of City Transportation Officials, right? And Ashto is like started in the 1920s, and uh, really was it created the highways and then the highway standards um, trickled down to cities in the 60s when they wanted to build fast roads from the suburbs to the downtown mm -hmm. and then NACTO has raised up in the last 25 years because Ashto don't work right in urban areas <laughs> uh, one more thing we have barely have some time for is uh, uh, transit um, uh, I think that the bus system has come a long way since, uh, it was founded in the seventies, early eighties. Um, but, uh, uh, like you, do you, yeah. do you know about the, um, the green line that where they're planning their first, uh, bus rapid transit line here in Bloomington on third street. Oh yeah. I'm very excited about that. Uh, I can find you documents from me from 20 years ago that introduces <laughs> that idea. So I, I, I hope they name it the buff Brown oh. line. <laughs> I think it's just going to be mean, called the green line. Sorry. But I mean, buff well, would be a color for another line. We call it the buff line right. going, or okay, buff there you go. Brown, you know, buff. I mean, those are two colors. <laughs> we'll have the buff line and the Brown line. How about that? <laughs> I like it. Well, so, uh, you know, what do you, where do you see the future of transit in Bloomington if we're doing bus rapid transit? Is that yeah. good? No, I, I am 
I have been uh, a user of the transit system since its foundation. In fact, when it started, uh, there was a um, art contest, and I won a one-year free pass to uh, the transit system, and I used it until I had to tape up my card. Um, you know, what was the art? Because it was so beat up. Was it a painting, a drawing? I can't remember. Okay. And it was anyway. like a poster contest, right. you know, and I was like 12. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, all right. So, uh, but I mean, uh, are the all right? Are we doing well? All right. So, yeah. What I think we need to be doing. Well, first of all, I think that's a great idea. I think a BRT. This is I. I called it the BRT from Kmart to Kmart, but both of those Kmart's are gone. That's right. <laughs> and um, and who would need to basically, go? Who would need to go from Kmart to Kmart anyway? I did that once, but that's another story. Well. Yeah, right now you've got uh, Ivy Tech out there. You've got Cook Incorporated. You, um, yeah, Bloomington has such an incredible, uh, you know, transit system as it is. But it has such an opportunity to be a transit-oriented city, and um, you know, especially with the campus there. And yes, uh, you know, I do remember twenty years ago suggesting that um, that a BRT from Kmart to Kmart would be valuable, making Third Street uh, bus bus and bike only making Atwater, um, two way for cars. And, um, so I'm all for that. I also considered something similar, uh, on the North South streets college and wellness. So I hope those things happen. I, I think they're a great idea. I'm really glad to hear that they are, um, being contemplated, uh, for real now. Buff Brown, it's been a pleasure to have you on the 812. Thank you for, for coming today. You're very welcome. I'm ex- very excited about your new council and uh, where we might go from here. So I keep my eyes on you. <laughs> Great. Buff Brown is a former member of the Bloomington MPOCAC and the Bloomington Traffic Commission, who founded BTOP, the organization that advocated for bicycle, pedestrian, and transit-friendly transportation policies in town from 2004 to 2015. He lives with his wife, Lisa, in Claremont, California. If you like The 812, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm the host and executive producer, Steve Volan. The 812 is a production of Platea Media. Thanks for listening, Bloomington. You can find back episodes and more information at the812show.org.